G'day everyone and welcome to the Bear Facts Podcast and thank you for joining me for episode 3. We've got a huge episode this week covering the career and life of none other than Steve Mongo McMichael. My co-pilot for this episode is TJ Brooks. If you're on Twitter you'll know him well as one of the biggest Bears fans out there and one of the nicest damn guys going around. What you may not know about TJ though is he's worked with the biggest wrestling promotions in Canada. He's rubbed shoulders with the likes of Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Kenny Omega and Buff Bagwell, just to name a few. So who better to join me to talk about the life of Mongo from his football career to his wrestling career. So without any further ado, let's start the show. G'day everyone and welcome to the Bear Facts Podcast and I'm very excited to have our special guest with us today, Mr. TJ Brooks. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. How's uh, how's the weekend been? Obviously it's been a, a, a big couple of days with the draft. Have you been sort of following it and, and if so, what are, what are your thoughts? Uh, it has been a crazy uh, couple of days with the draft. Um, Thursday night I was anxiously waiting for the Bears pick. Uh the way the draft started and, you know, with Houston trading up to pick three and taking Will Anderson as well, I was like, okay, something's, something's brewing here. Like we're going to have uh, an interesting night. Uh, you know, I know there was a lot of uh, people who were, were upset that we didn't take Jalen Carter. I was not one of them. Okay. <laughs> I've been off the, uh, the Jalen Carter train since uh, before the draft, but uh, I'm very happy with our night one selection with Darnell Wright. That guy is just a beast. Uh, I actually spent most of Thursday night going back and watching different games uh, from Tennessee last year, specifically just to watch how he played on that uh, offensive line. And uh, if anyone's going to keep Justin Fields' uh, jersey nice and clean this year, it's going to be that guy. Uh, you know, he plays in the SEC, which is the best division of college football. Went up against a guy like Will Anderson, who went number three, and literally mauled him all game, like made him a non-factor. So we got a good one there. I'm very happy with that selection. Absolutely. I agree. And I think it's really showing that, uh, that, that they believe in fields and they're giving him this season or next season really an opportunity to shine and that sort of protection that will go around him as well as, you know, some key targets with DJ Moore. It's, it's going to be a really exciting year for him. For sure. Like, uh, getting DJ Moore as well is just a huge, huge upside. Um, you know, I was jokingly saying since, uh, the end of the season, like, you know, JSN, no matter what, uh, <laughs> I was a huge JSN fan coming into this draft, really wanted him on the Bears. Uh, you know, I, I think he's got a great home Seattle, but, uh, when we got DJ Moore, I knew right then and there, like, this is a pipe dream. So it was kind of a half jokingly thing. And, uh, you know, our, our good friend, uh, Ryan Dangle, he, you know, he posted a question. I think it was the day of the draft. Like, who do you think the Bears are going to take? Like, who's your wishful thinking and who do you think they will take? And I, you know, I, Again, said JSN, no matter what, but most likely Darnell Wright. And I couldn't believe I got that right. <laughs> so it it's going to be a fun season. I think we've massively improved from last year. Do I think we're going to be a playoff contender? Hard to tell. Could be, but I'm I'm going to be happy if we I see an improvement of you know anywhere from seven to eight wins this year. I think. I think that's a really good sort of rule of thumb. I think we may not get more than ten, but I think that sort of seven to ten would be a really good season and and something to really build on. For sure. So, TJ, tell me how you became a Bears fan. Uh, well, I sure didn't start out as one, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, growing up in Canada, 
uh, NFL games were, for the most part, what I remember, few and far between. So the options were at noon, you were either watching the New York Giants or the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, and in the afternoon, it was more than often the Pittsburgh Steelers or San Francisco 49ers. Uh, playing hockey, uh, usually my games were in the morning or at around lunchtime at that, when I was younger. So it was like, okay, well, I'll catch the later afternoon games. And I started off as a San Francisco 49ers fan. I liked John, Joe Montana. Uh, Jerry Rice is still my favorite receiver to this day. You know, Steve Young came in. Um, but I wasn't like diehard into them. It was just, these was the team I watched. I was just enamored by how they played and, you know, they were successful. So I was like, okay, like I'll cheer for these guys. About the mid nineties, uh, you know, in Canada, we have the Canadian football league, the CFL, and they did probably the best job advertising like a grassroots fan drive that I've ever seen. Uh, and they haven't done anything like it since, uh, you know, the nineties were supposed to be, were kind of like crass near the end. And, uh, they had a slogan that said our balls were bigger. Which is true. Like CFL footballs are way bigger than NFL footballs. Um, our field is bigger. We have 12 guys on the field instead of 11. Yeah, our field is 110 yards long instead of 100. A lot of different rules. It's a great game. Uh, smaller league, but I became, you know, more invested into the CFL than I did the NFL. Completely diverted away from it. Didn't watch it for a few years. Might have caught a Super Bowl here or there, but wasn't following it. 2001, I started to uh, go, you know what? I'm, Looking more into the NFL, I want to watch more football. CFL, I was having fun with it, but I'm like, ah, I need something different. Like, I watched a couple of football games. I'm like, I need to watch find a team I like. Michael Vick in 2001 was the big draft pick, and everyone was excited for him. I'm like, okay, you know. And the game I happened to pick was the game where Michael Vick came in off of injury for his debut, and they just happened to be playing the Chicago Bears. Well, Chicago Bears had this uh, giant linebacker with a barbed wire tattoo on his arm <laughs> that literally uh, just demolished Vic the entire game and, you know, happened to get a 90-yard touchdown return off a fumble from him, and that sold me. Right then and there, I'm like, Brian Erlocker, you made me a Chicago Bears fan for life, okay. uh, you know, for good or bad. <laughs> but, uh, you know, since that day, since that game, like, I've been through the ups and downs of bad quarterback play, you know, not having an offensive line. But defensive football has always been, like, a huge thing for me. I just love watching linebackers hit people. Not sure why. Probably because I play a lot of hockey and there's a lot of hitting there, too. <laughs> but uh, that that was my team from then on. So, yeah, it's been diehard Bears since then. Love it. And and just back to the CFL, could you also say that your balls are bigger in the CFL? Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Balls are definitely bigger in the CFL. So. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I, I should have touched on this just before. Uh, whereabouts are you yeah. from in, in Canada? I, I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. We're literally the center of the, the country. Um, you know, for good or bad, Winnipeg has got a reputation. Uh, it's not one of the most commonly visited cities. Uh, you know, Toronto is considered – people from Toronto will consider themselves the center of Canada. Even though they're not, <laughs> uh, but Toronto's, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, stuff like that. Those are our bigger cities. We're more in the prairies, like kind of stuck in the middle of Canada, but, uh, you know, it's been my home for 40 years. I love it here. Uh, it's not for everyone. A lot of people leave, but me, I couldn't see it myself even here ever. Absolutely. It's a beautiful country. I, my wife and, and I took our uh, one year old 
from uh, Vancouver through the Rockies into into Calgary. And oh, beautiful! Uh, about yeah. a four week trip, and yeah, people thought we were mad taking a twelve month old on that sort of a journey. <laughs> but he was an absolutely fantastic traveler, and it was just the most beautiful uh, scenery. And yeah. just the most amazing experience I've ever been on. I'd recommend to anyone uh, to to check it out. For sure. Um, I haven't traveled between the two cities, but I've been to both cities and both cities are just absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, the Rocky Mountains there. That That's something that I think everybody should see, whether it's in the U.S. side or on the American side. I've seen both sides. It's just gorgeous. Like it, you, you can't beat that, those views and that scenery at all. All right. Well, let's, let's get stuck into it. We're, we're here to take. Sure here today to talk about uh, the one and only Mongo McMichael. But to, mm-hmm. to take it back to the very beginning, Stephen Douglas McMichael was born October 17th, 1957 in Houston, Texas. His parents separated before his second birthday and his mother later remarried with Mongo adopting his step, uh, surname. Uh, McMichael family, which consisted of three siblings, an older brother and two younger sisters, moved to Freer, Texas, where Mongo attended Freer High School. In his senior year at Freya, he dominated in just about every sport he touched and led it in football, basketball, track, tennis, golf, and his first love, which was actually baseball, where he attracted attention from the Cincinnati Reds and the St. Louis Cardinals. His dominance on the football field, however, saw him receive a whopping 75 scholarship offers, TJ, before deciding on the University of Texas in 1976. In his freshman year at the Longhorns, Mongo tragically lost his stepfather, which must have been a, a pretty hard time for him. Losing him, there was uh, an article that was put out, I think, in about 2008 or so, uh, where they were, talk- they were talking to him about it. And the only thing Steve would say was, like, you know, he's no longer here, and he was going to leave it at that. He wasn't going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, later came out that his stepfather was actually uh, shot and killed by one of his former employees for the business he owns. So oh, wow. kind of a tragedy there. Yeah, that's horrible. Not, not a nice time for him, but I, I guess it didn't stop him from um, from really excelling in football. And he he had a tremendous career at, at the Longhorns. And in his same Longhorns in '79, he was a consensus first team All American and defensive MVP at the Hula Bowl. And 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 that's of course where he he got the attraction at, at the draft and found his way at the Patriots with uh, uh, the third pick, at pick seventy three. In the 1980 draft, where he played only six games, TJ, which I thought was was quite strange before he got cut mm-hmm. in 1981. So, do you know much about that year in uh, in New England and why maybe his career didn't take off there? Yeah, in uh, New England, you know, Mongo after his father, his stepfather passed away. Um, you know, he even said he was drawn to the big neon lights. So, mm-hmm. we all know Mongo is a bigger, larger than life character. And, uh, you can imagine that at that time, you know, as a young adult and having the success, like he was definitely going to want to, uh, enjoy that success to its fullest. Uh, a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, led to him, you know, maybe having some issues with, uh, the Patriots and their team. At the end of the day, you know, it, it didn't help Longo's case to stay on that team. And it's probably a big reason why he didn't play as many games, but it also helped, uh, get him to the Bears. So, mm. Kind of a, kind of a, you know, a double-edged sword in that case. But uh, I think in Bongo's favor, uh, his actions, you know, whether you agree with them or not, worked out in his and the Bears' favor. It, it certainly did, and it th- it seems to be maybe a bit of a personality fit. And Coach Ron Earnhardt of the Patriots gave him a bit of a whack on the way out and said that uh, 
well, apparently this is what he said to Mongo, that we believe you're part of the criminal element in the league. <laughs> so he obviously didn't impress too much uh, within uh, the Patriots camp is, is what Coach Earnhardt said. And as the saying goes, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And the Bears absolutely landed a pot of gold, TJ, when they picked up Mongo up as a free agent through the 81 season after he just returned home to Freer. And reflecting on that time, Mongo spoke with Chicago Tribune's Bob Verdi. Want to read that quote for us, TJ? Yeah. Uh, you know, it, with uh, Bob Verdi, Mongo's uh, comment to him was, you know, thank God New England got rid of me. Some teams, they want you to have a certain image. Other teams like this one, referring to the Bears, they just want you to get down dirty. I'm really proud to be a Bear. The Patriots, yeah, they thought I was a little weird. And I guess I am. But here, they don't care. As long as you play hard, the town, the coach, the team, it's Steve McMichael. I don't want to be anywhere else. How, how can you not love that? You know, it's, it's in, fantastic. In a player, right? Like, and, and he must have really fit with Mike Dick because his scheme and, and also what he was looking for in players, that real sort of hard-nosed, uh, no-bullshit approach to um, to football. And, and, and as we said before, uh, the Patriots sort of discarding Mongo was, was Chicago's gain. And, uh, I mean, you can imagine just with that competitive mindset that he would have come into to Bears camp and given everything he could um, to, to take advantage of that second chance. Like ex- exactly right, and like Mongo when he uh, when he signed with the Bears, like his first uh, you know the, I think it was ten games he played with them once he signed. It was all in special teams. Like he wasn't a starter; he was a special teams guy. But he went in and gave it his all, and you know he in his own words, he was got down and dirty and played exactly the way that Dicka and you know a coach like Buddy Ryan wanted their team to be. Absolutely, and you can just imagine having a guy like Mongo in the locker room. It would have been a hell of a ride. Oh, I, you, you know, looking back uh, and like seeing the stories and hearing him talk and stuff like that, he would have been a guy I would have like just gravitated to towards in a locker room because like, it, even if, uh, you know, in team sports, a lot of times you'll have team captains or you'll have assistant captains, you know, in hockey. And those are the guys that are going to you know, grab, grab their lunch pail, go out, work hard. And even if the chips are down, they're going to grab everybody by the bootstraps and pull them along. And Mongo, he wasn't going to wait for you. He was going to say, "You're either you're either with me or I'm dragging you." And to me, that's that's exactly what kind of uh, a leader I like to see in sports. And Mongo, to me, would always be a leader in that sense. Hundred percent. And you know, if we fast forward to 1985, you also think about all the other names that were in the the locker room. You know, Walter Payton, um, mm-hmm. Jim McMahon. <laughs> Yeah. It just must have been an incredible time for anybody uh, who was within that team. Exactly. I mean, you also had like Dan Hampton and Richard Dance and Mike Singletary. Like the guys that were on that 85 team, you know, will always be legendary Chicago Bears, no matter if they played one down or if they played every down. It's just it, they're revered, hands down. And uh, from a guy like Mongo, like I said, to be that kind of outspoken and that guy that's going to be down and dirty. And to me, I would gravitate to as a leader. When you have all those other great leaders too, it just speaks volumes about his character. He would have also driven the standards as well. You know, there would have been time to, mm-hmm. to have fun and, and to, to have a laugh, but I think also he would have been one to, to uphold the standards and make sure that everybody on the roster was too. For sure. So 85, yeah, we'll obviously touch on that. So the, the Super Bowl, he was a, a key figure in, in that team. Around that time as well, he married Deborah Marshall, who would go on to have a successful career in the WWE, and, and we'll talk about the, the wrestling side of his career in, in just a moment. But mm-hmm. his career at the Bears, he 
He led the team uh, in 1988 for sacks with 11 and a half. He had 108 tackles in 1989, and he was named uh, NFC Pro Bowl 1986 and 1987. So he he clearly dominated at the Bears and had a terrific career with them. And uh, unfortunately, he found his way to the Packers, and we obviously don't want to talk too much <laughs> about that. But he, he did yeah. have a quote in, in 2019, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. AJ, have you got that one in front of you as well? I've got this one in front of me, yeah. If, you know, uh, for 13 years, I helped the Bears beat the Packers every year. I whooped their ass, right? So the last year, I went up there on my last leg, and that wasn't good, any good anymore. So I stole their money and whipped their ass again. Like, <laughs> if that's not Mongo to a T, I don't know what is. Oh, right? Yeah, it's just fantastic. <laughs> and you, you can see why uh, he, he found his way into uh, pro wrestling. But I've probably, sure, yeah. Yeah, probably skipped a little bit ahead um, from, from his career in the Bears. But uh, obviously you be, uh, became a fan in 2001, TJ. But mm-hmm. from I guess from your own research and, and you know, the, the footage that you've seen and, and the 85 30 for 30 documentary, how do you sort of see Mongo standing at the Bears? And, and, and of course, he was a, one of the top 100 players there, but what, what's your thoughts about his standing um, with Chicago Bears? I, when it comes to Mongo, um, you know, like my introduction to Mongo, because, you know, like you said, we're going to be touching on the wrestling thing, was actually through wrestling. Um, you know, I've been a – there's three things I love, hockey, Chicago Bears, and wrestling. Uh, and that's outside of my family, of course. We gotta preface that, I guess. Um, but Mongo, the first introduction I ever had to him was when I first started watching WCW wrestling. He was, uh, one of the commentators on the very first Monday Nitro in 1995. Uh, you know, showed up with Bobby the Brain Heenan and Eric Bischoff, who I kind of knew. And then I was like, who's this long haired guy that's really brash and loud and introduces Steve Mongo McMichael? You know, they had mentioned he was a Chicago Bear, but again, you know, during that time period, I wasn't really heavily into the NFL or the Bears. So in 2001, when I started going with the Bears, I went back and I went, oh, yeah, McMichael was a Bear. And, you know, like you said, I've gone back and watched the history of the Chicago Bears. I've watched the 30 for 30 on the Bears. Uh, there was another documentary that was put out in 1980 or about the 1985 Chicago Bears where, uh, you know, Mongo was a big part of it. And, you know, he would talk about stuff like Buddy Ryan and how he would run through walls for that guy. Mongo standing, I think, regardless of who you are, um, especially within the Chicago Bears, is one of uh, probably great respect and reverence. He has down deserves to be one of the best 100 Bears. It's a shame he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, his numbers alone, especially with those teams, and especially with that 1985 team, like it, it boggles my mind he hasn't been let in. I, as a football player, one of the greatest I've ever seen play defense was Chicago Bears. I, you know, I wish there were more Mongols in this world uh, playing football right now. Uh, I think, you know, there's a couple of guys that are pretty close to it, but everyone nowadays, especially with, uh, you know, social media, like they're a little bit more um, professional, <laughs> I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, you still get some characters, uh, but nobody was like Mongo at all. And uh, it, it's, He's one of those few players that I've gone back and went, you know what? This is one of my favorite Bears of all time. Yeah, well said. So. No, he, he really is. And, and, and again, we'll, we'll talk about the Hall of Fame, um, in, in just a mm-hmm. moment, but yeah. So his large and life personality, it was a perfect fit for wrestling and he was cutting promos before he was even in, in the WWF or WCW, yep. but 
he found his way to uh, to the WWF in, in 1995 when he appeared ringside at the main event for WrestleMania 11, which featured Bam Bam Bigelow and ex-New York Giants linebacker Lawrence Taylor. And yep. he sat uh, or sat ringside with Vince McMahon on Monday Night Raw uh, and provided colour commentary. And just a few months later, found his way over at WCW. So uh, I did hear that Eric Bischoff wasn't quite sure how he found his way to the WCW, but... It's a, a, a no-brainer. He's got the the personality and, and as we said, the larger yep. than life um, approach. So he was paired up with Bobby Heenan for a time, and he'd bring his dog Pepe uh, to the broadcast booth, which was, <laughs> yep, which was always fun. Do you do you remember uh, Pepe? And I remember Pepe quite well. Um, you know, the the first time I saw Mongo with Pepe, I kind of went, "What is going on here?" It, it, you, you see this larger than life, like giant human being in this tiny, tiny chihuahua dressed in costumes. And they were sometimes <laughs> the most ridiculous costumes you've ever seen in your life. But that was Mongo and it worked. It, it's it, part of uh, Mongo becoming an announcer with WCW. Uh, Eric Bischoff at the time lived in Minnesota and, you know, he has said many times, like he is a diehard Steelers fan, but when he lived in Minnesota, he became a, sort of de facto casual Minnesota Vikings fan because they're living there constantly. That's their, that's the city's team. You know, like you kind of follow the sports and he knew who Mongo was. And I believe they were kind of introduced um, through a couple of different events and they kind of hit it off and Bischoff and his wife actually became friends with Deborah and Steve yes. and they would hang out and, you know, uh, get to know one another. And Bischoff brought Steve McMongo or Steve Mongo in, to uh, WCW as a color commentator because Mongo himself has a great personality. He's very quick witted, you know, was, could be over the top, but could rein it in. Like he knew his, his audience. And there's a, another podcast with that Eric Bishop does called 83 Weeks. And he did a two hour special on Steve Mongo McMichael last summer, uh, which I went back and listened to recently. Um, and his comments on the reason why he brought Mongo in was, WCW prior to that was a clown show. They did a lot of things wrong. And a lot of the people that were still working there that, you know, you would think would come in and be announcers that have been there for years and like know the product. Um, he didn't really want to associate this new Monday night show, this thing, new thing he was trying to compete with WWE with people who've uh, done certain things where it's hasn't worked out. It looked like a clown show. He wanted something fresh, something new, and he didn't want it to get off on the wrong foot. And he even said with Mongo, like, there, he gives him some directions, like, you know, here's what I want you to say about this person, you know, that person. But it wasn't like, here's a script, you need to read this line for line. It was, Mongo, I know you're going to do this well. Here's what I need you to do to put this guy over. Uh, make it work. And Bischoff sat beside him on, on the announce booth at the Furry Verse Nitro and would rein him in because he knew how to kind of control things. And Mongo killed it. Like, the way he would play off Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan would play off him. And Bobby's the best, by the way. Like, that guy's he's the greatest ever, in my opinion, uh, on the mic, hands down. And they worked really well together. And the one thing I always liked about Mongo was, because he was a big guy and he brought legitimacy to WCW's commentary team, you've got a Super Bowl champion, you've got a Pro Bowl NFL player, He's going to not only bring legitimacy to what he's talking about, he's also going to bring eyes to a promotion that wouldn't normally get it because if you think about it, WCW was a southern wrestling company. They weren't a northern one. They were kind of regional. Well, you're bringing in Steve McMichael, one of the greatest Chicago Bears ever, 
to come and do color commentary. Well, that's going to get buzz in Chicago, which has a huge media market. It was to bring and draw attention on it. And, you know, Eric even said, you know, Mongo was great. I love what he did. Some of it was, hey, I want to bring fresh eyes to this. This is a great way to do it. And it was. And you're right. It was a masterstroke, really. I mean, Chicago is a big wrestling city as well. Mm-hmm. And in 83 weeks, I have listened to that episode, uh, TJ. And Bischoff also said that part of the reason they brought him across was also the potential for advertisers. I wonder whether they had visions for him to, to compete in the ring. Certainly, uh, in, in, in the beginning, it was more around the commentary, but his first storyline began pretty quickly afterwards in 1996 and with arguably the goat of wrestling, Ric Flair. So, Obviously, Rick yep. would probably carry him through those matches, but geez, it's uh, it's a fair nod to be working with the greatest of all time in in your first feud. For sure, and uh, you know, like you said, Rick Flair is considered probably the greatest wrestler of all time. Uh, he's what we call a true ring general, right? Like he's going to be the one who's going to lead the match. And someone like uh, Steve McMichael, uh, you know, he did some training before this match happened with uh, Terry Taylor, another really good ring technician um maybe not one of the biggest stars ever everybody knows who he is but you know he's not not going to be like somebody some call world champion but he could teach you the basics mm-hmm. um but his first his first match was with was a tag team match at uh, the great american bash with uh you know another football star kevin green and they were facing off against rick flair and arn anderson like i couldn't you could not ask for your first match to be any better than with those two wrestlers like two of the best to ever do it and two of the guys that could lead them through, even though they're green, and make them look like a million dollars. And and the finish to the match, TJ, was Mongo <laughs> hitting Green over the head with the case. So, yeah, do, do you remember Wasn't the match? Wasn't that fun? <laughs> oh, brilliant. Do, do you remember the match? I, I do remember the match. Um, I... At the time, like WCW had just started, like really coming into Canada as well. Like Nitro really changed the wrestling scene up here too. Um, unfortunately, like we didn't get to catch it live. We had Monday Night Raw on uh, the same station as WCW Nitro, so Monday Night Raw always got the you know the the Monday Night slot. We would get Nitro on Wednesdays, so I would get to watch it two days after. You know, and it, of course I'm behind everything, but the internet wasn't as huge as ruining spoilers at the time, so getting that and still watching pay-per-views and stuff like that, I'm like, this is awesome. Like, I, I remember seeing this and I'm like, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson are going up against two football guys. And McMichael, like I said, was a commentator and I loved him. And seeing him as a wrestler now, it's like, this is going to be fun. Like, I got to kind of see how this is going to go. And, you know, through the whole match, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm watching Deborah on the side too. And I'm like, something's going on here. Like, something's going to happen. And then when he hits Kevin Green over the head, I'm like, this is awesome. I love this. Like, that <laughs> I've always liked the heel guys, and uh, when he did that, I'm like, okay, this for some reason this works. And a swerve like that, who who could pull it off better than Mongo? <laughs> right, like, uh, and and you know what, the heel personality too with Mongo, like, it just fits him because he's he's out there, he's brash, he tells it like it is, and the best heels in wrestling tell you the truth, and you don't like it. And that's, that's what gets them so hated is like, they're not lying to you. They're telling you the truth from their perspective, of course. Like, this is how it looks to me. And this is the truth and the truth hurts, right? Mongo was like that. So for me, when he turned heel, I'm like, this is going to be a good fit for him. Like, this is going to work. 
Yeah, I think he's probably better suited as a heel just because of that personality sure, and that yeah. crush nature, like you said. <laughs> Cheers, everyone. We're going to run a quick timeout for our sponsors, and we'll be right back after this break. The Bear Facts Podcast is part of the Bear Down Chicago Podcast Network. It's brought to you by our guy, Jeff Cadwallader. Jeff, thank you so much for sponsoring the show. It's also brought to you by Sheridan's Barbershop. Located in historic downtown Wheaton, Illinois, has been serving the community for 69 years. They've got seven barbers open six days a week, Monday through Saturday. They've got appointments available to book online or by phone at your convenience. Sheridansbarbershop.com or give them a call at 630-668-0137 and book yours today. Sheridan's Barbershop, where traditional meets modern. Now, Ozzy, back to you. Thank you, Ryan, and a big thank you to all of our sponsors. And welcome back, everyone. TJ, we're going to close out Mongo's wrestling career, and I guess one of the biggest highlights of his career was winning the United States heavyweight title from Jeff Jarrett. Do you, Again, do you have any memories of, of that match? Yeah, definitely. Um, I had to go back and watch this match. I, I couldn't remember it for the life of me. I remember that Mongo did have the United States heavyweight title for a brief period of time in WCW. Uh, so I went back and watched it. And again, um, Mongo didn't have a whole lot of wrestling matches in WCW through his career. I, I think it was like under 20, 20 matches in total. Um, but right? he was, yeah, but I, I might be mistaken on there. I have to, I have to go back and double check, but there wasn't a whole lot. And with Mongo, like his career wrestling wise, he got to work with some of the best names ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we said like his first matches with Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Um, then he beat Jeff Jarrett, who, you know, has been around forever, uh, wrestling and is one of the, you know, premier heels to ever work in the sport. And another guy that could, you know, walk Mongo through a match and take the lead and, you know, hey, do this, do that. The, the United States Championship win for him was, I believe, his only singles title that he, and his only title that he ever won in WCW. Uh, great. Great nod to Mongo. Uh, the United States title was considered the working man's title, kind of like the Intercontinental title is in uh, WWE. So, for to be given that kind of honor, like for Mongo, like that had to have been huge for him. Like I had to, you know, give him a nod saying, "Hey, things are going to go well." Problem is, WCW was not the best place for, uh, let's just say, proper management and uh, helping people along and building stars, because uh, you know. 25 days later after he beat Jeff Jarrett, he lost the belt to Kirk Henning or, you know, WWE fans on Mr. Perfect, which again, he got to work with another legendary great wrestler, um, in WCW that, you know, most people wouldn't even get a chance to. So it, it was kind of a short lived run, but, you know, for Mongo to win another championship outside of something from uh, other than football, you know, great nod to that guy. He had some, some, um, High-profile feuds as well. I think he had a brief one with Goldberg when he first started. He did, yes. But you would have to say his legacy at WCW would not not just be the title, but as a member of the Four Horsemen. For sure, um, I would say that was probably the best part of his legacy, uh, more so than the WCW title. Uh, you know, everybody who knows wrestling or even a casual fan of wrestling knows who the Four Horsemen were. Um, they were the top heel stable, probably the best stable in my opinion of all time in wrestling. And you had a who's who literally go through there. And if you weren't good, you would never be part of it. Um, 
you know, the original iteration was Tully Blanchard, Ole Arn Anderson, and Ric Flair. And then it became Barry Windham instead of Ole Anderson with those four. And then Tully had his issues and became Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Barry Windham, and Lex Luger. Um, the last iteration, the one that Mongo was involved with, was originally Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and Chris Benoit. Chris Benoit is kind of a touchy subject for people, and you know I'm not going to go too deep into that one. I think everybody kind of knows where that goes, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately. But uh, for Mongo to be introduced as a four horseman, there was quite a bit of backlash from a lot of people, uh, mostly dirt sheet writers like Dave Meltzer, uh, saying like, you know, Mongo didn't deserve that spot. You know, he was a green football player. You know, Mongo didn't have the best wrestling matches ever. Like he wasn't, uh, he wasn't as fluid in the ring as he was on the football field. Let's put it that way. But with Mongo, he didn't have to be like his job was to be the brawler, the bruiser, you know, the strong, tough guy, right? He wasn't going to be doing all the fancy wrestling moves. He wasn't going to be really working a headlock or a chin lock. He was going to pound him to the mat. Rick Flair himself, whenever he heard someone say that Mongo didn't deserve to be in the four horsemen, would push back and say, hey, Mongo is the perfect iteration of what a four horseman is. Hmm. Now, most people would think he's talking about wrestling. <laughs> probably not. It was probably more so everything that happened outside of the wrestling ring that made Mongo four horsemen. And uh, those stories are legendary on the roll. <laughs> so I was just going to ask you about the rubbing of shoulders away from the wrestling mat and the yeah. kind of mischief that they must have gotten up to. I mean, we've heard the stories about Ric Flair, but gosh, the, mm-hmm. him and him and uh, him and Mongo must have really, really had some fun times. Well, let's let's just say that it's probably a good thing they weren't uh, camera phones and social media during those days. Because, <laughs> uh, I think people might like. We all love Mongo, and I'm sure you know Mongo did some things that people today like. Even myself would probably go, oh, you know, that's not the best thing in the world to be uh, bragging about. But, you know, uh, at, at that time, like, yeah, Mongo fit in like a, you know, like a, a, a perfect puzzle piece of the Four Horsemen in that sense. So, Too right. And and I think it was around that time that he and Deborah separated. Uh, it must have been sort of late 90s, early 2000s. I think it was uh, somewhere around that period. And yep. and it was about that same period as well that his his career with WCW came to an end, which I think was March of 1999. That's correct. Yeah, like um, I think it was in '98. There started to be uh, some definite friction uh, between McMichael and uh, his wife Deborah. Uh, you can kind of tell, like on screen. Um, I know uh, Eric Bischoff has said, like you know, you could feel it between the two of them like there was things that were going on uh and mongo for his most outlandish uh and as big of a character as he is was also a very private person in that sense like he didn't really go out of his way to um you know make things public as much as possible and uh he kind of kept a lot of things like that to himself which you know like total respect i get that uh but you could tell that between that and what was going on with WCW at the time, like it was definitely weighing in on Mongo and he was kind of like a ship without a captain. Like mm-hmm. it was his direction started to go pretty downhill. The Goldberg, uh, you know, mini feud that he had, uh, you know, actually started with Deborah paying Goldberg to attack him and like, uh, basically like a hitman type thing, uh, which, you know, would have been a great storyline. You got a guy like Mongo who's a, 
an ex football player who's, you know, rough, tough, tough. And you got Goldberg, who's also an ex football player that, you know, also had a bit of an MMA background. Like he was kind into martial arts and was a, you know, for lack of a better term, a giant ass kicker. You think putting those two in the ring, like they go and have a big brawl. And for some people, that was great. For others, you know, and, hey, this is wrestling. We don't want to watch boxing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, for McMichael, like, you know, nothing really came from that with him. And, you know, WCW did try to build him up with some different other angles with, uh, you know, British Bulldog, Baby Boy Smith. Another, again, you know, you think about the list of wrestlers we talked about today that Mongols worked with, and it's just mind boggling that he got to work with these legendary superstars. Uh, you know, most of which unfortunately are not with us anymore, but, uh, just the amount of people he got to work with and like took care of him and I like, would work with him, like just, Unbelievable. But around 1998, near the end, the end of 1998, um, a lot of things were going on with Mongo. Uh, the divorce obviously weighed heavily on him with, with Deborah. He wasn't happy. He didn't have much of a direction. And, uh, I found out, out later on, like, he was also dealing with blood clots. So oh, okay. that kind of helped, that, that kind of kept him on the sidelines. And at that point, when you've got all that going on in your personal life, I mean, I, anybody would never, you know, uh, give him a hard time about wanting to say I've had enough. And he kind of walked away in his contract in 1999, kind of just quietly was finished. It ended up and they didn't renew it. And that was the last we saw Mongo in a wrestling ring until about 2008. Yeah. Where he showed up at, uh, impact and, you know, refereed a match. And it also was not a very good, uh, <laughs> good, uh, incident. But, uh, unfortunately, like, you know, like, Mongo's legacy in wrestling, like I said, his, the highest part of it was being part of Four Horsemen. Unfortunately, he also suffered from the lowest part of it too. And Deborah, I mean, Deborah had uh, an incredible career in her own right, and some probably argue that it was more successful than Mongo's. For sure, it was. Um, you know, like she, Deborah was a character herself, and like that's. Uh, it, it was one of those things that, you know, happened organically and happened by accident. Uh, Deborah initially with WCW and even Eric Bischoff said like Deborah was never part of the equation when he brought Steve in. Uh, he wanted Steve for color commentary and then Deborah was around and then when Steve went out, like she would walk into the ring and they never expected her to, you know, take off like she did. It was kind of a happy accident in Deborah's case. And, uh, when WCW folded and WWE brought him in, uh, you know, Deborah was part of that package and, you know, Deborah went on to marry Stone Cold Steve Austin, and, you know, arguably the biggest star in wrestling outside of Hulk Hogan. And, uh, she was featured more and more on TV and, you know, not exactly in the, uh, the best of lights, uh, you know, in revisionist it, when we look back at it now. Uh, but she made herself a star and she wanted to be the center of attention and she thrived in it, uh, way more than Mongo did, uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Like it just kind of the way it played out. Yeah. And just thinking now, uh, some of the best work I think Deborah did at was almost the third wheel to Kurt Angle and Stone Cold during that sort of oh, 2001 God, yes. period. <laughs> it was yeah. just tremendous. That, um, that to me was some of the, probably the funniest TV I've ever watched in my life. And anybody who's, who's not familiar with it, Go back and go on YouTube because I know there's clips out there and just put Stone Cold, Kurt Angle. Don't even watch the wrestling matches. Look at the backstage segments and just <laughs> see how gold it was. Deborah was the perfect foil for them as the third wheel. Like 
you could just see from her face and her reactions to half of it. You like, she had no idea what was going to happen, what was going on, but her reactions to everything that those two did together was priceless. Like it just, it, it was golden. Now that's the word that I was literally just thinking priceless. Uh, yeah. it was really good. <laughs> Wrestling career came to an end and he, he did spend some time, uh, as head coach of the Chicago slaughter and the, uh, the continental indoor football league. But yeah. what I thought, interesting was that and i'm gonna i'm gonna do this i'm gonna do this correctly that he didn't come across to the xfl because <laughs> i really think that that could have been a fantastic opportunity coming from that wrestling background coming from that football background chicago had a team in the xfl i think that could have been a match made in heaven in, in heaven knowing that I think Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross had come across to try and boost the profile to little success, yep. but I think Mongo could have been a really good mouthpiece for it. Well, exactly, right? It, it comes back to, um, you know, why Eric Bischoff brought him into WCW in the first place. It's eyes on the product. And with the XFL, you know, uh, it brought wrestling fans over for sure because there was a crossover there. And, uh, you know, Mongo himself has always been a larger than life personality. And for him not to be part of that, when you've got a guy who literally on the back of his jersey has he hate me on it, right? <laughs> like it, yeah, to me, that was a miss. And, uh, you know, the XFL had a lot of misses in its first iteration. Um, you know, its second iteration, pretty much the same as the first. How it's going to go now with, uh, you know, Dwayne Johnson and, uh, his, his, Business manager, uh, ex-wife, I can't remember her name for the life of me. Um, uh, ah. Garcia? I'll, I'll move on from that. Garcia, yes. Uh, Danny Garcia. Danny Garcia. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, they're trying to build up the XFL again as a spring league. And, you know, whether this year they have another season after this year, you know, I hope they do because, you know, more football is great football. Uh, I don't know if they're going to have the same, uh, kind of uh, ability to keep going as the USFL has, you know, kind of proven to, to do, do this year. But, um, you know, again, like you said, Mongo not being part of that, that just seems like a huge miss to me. Like mm-hmm. you have a guy who's an over the top character who, you know, for the Chicago Bears was an in your face, giant mouthpiece, you know, will tell you he's going to beat you up, beat you up, put you under the ground, drink a beard, shake your hand, beat you up again. Like that's the kind of, Talent, that, that, that to me just speaks like, you know, how did you guys miss on that? Hmm. At the same time, maybe Mongo wasn't interested. Well, like, you know, maybe he just, he, he's like, I don't want, I don't want any ties with wrestling anymore. He could have been like, I'm jaded or, you know, maybe he just didn't want to be in the spotlight, which for someone like Mongo to me just seems weird. Uh, I guess 2001 and, and maybe this answers a question. He, he did get married. He remarried Misty Davenport and in yep. 2008, they, they had a daughter, Macy. So, I guess post wrestling career and, and I guess the breakdown of his marriage with Deborah, there was some, some light at the end of the tunnel and, and some good times. I guess he was sort of springing up occasionally, uh, in ESPN and things like that. And of course he appeared in the 35th, uh, it was just two years ago and almost two years to the day, TJ, that yeah. we got the sad news of his ALS diagnosis. Yeah. And I, I remember that day that uh, they, like two years ago when they announced that with McMichael and as soon as I heard it was ALS and I just went, no, mm. you've got this giant human, human being who 
you've watched play football for years. You've seen him in wrestling. And to hear that he's been diagnosed with ALS, you're just like, how, how did this happen to him? Hmm. Right. And it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, there's, I, I guess, a sense of irony, if, if that's the right word, that, like you mm-hmm. said, someone so strong, powerful, brash, larger than life personality can be, um, uh, afflicted by such a horrible, and look, I don't like to swear too much on, on the podcast, mm-hmm. but it's an insidious fucking disease. And we've got a, an ex Australian rules footballer, uh, who, well, we call it MND down here, motor neuron disease. Mm-hmm. And just to see the, just how rapidly this disease can take hold, it's, it's just, uh, it's, it's shattering. You, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. For sure, right? Like, um, there's, it's one of those things where there's nothing you can really do about it, right? Like, there's, there's no cure. We know that. And, uh, just watching anybody go through, whether it's a superstar or a family member, you know, uh, you know, even somebody like Mongo, it's so hard to sit there and go, man, like, you know, you got, you got this, you could beat this. And, you know, to Mongo's credit, like, you know, he's always been a fighter and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that he's got something he's got to fight against that is not going to be an easy fight and probably one that more than likely, unfortunately, he's, you know, is not going to win. And I hate being the Debbie Downer in that sense, but it's the reality of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, it's a very sombering experience to see someone going through that or even to know that something like this can happen to someone. Yeah, exactly right. And the, the footballer from Australia that I mentioned earlier, his name's Neil Danaher and he's actually uh, raised $50 million towards research through a series of um, initiatives oh, and, and, and events that are tied into the AFL. And he's actually named it the beast and he's, he's, basically says that he knows the beast is going to get him, but he's going to fight like hell um, as hard as he can. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's tragic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome though. That you know, that uh, they've raised that much money for the research and, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully one day we can, we can find something that can help with it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess what's been really sweet is is the way that Misty's stood by him and supported him every step of the way. I think she's done a few interviews and social media posts and things like that, but I think now they're probably wanting their privacy, I'd imagine. For sure. Um, I know uh, recently there was a little bit of backlash. Uh, you know, our, we, we brought him up here before uh, you know, Ric Flair went to go visit him and uh, posted a picture, uh, I believe, with him giving Misty a hug in the room with with Mongo where Mongo's in the bed and like, you know, it, it Mongo doesn't look good. No, uh, no. You know, and you can imagine like this kind of disease ravaging him as bad as it has. Like, you know, you're not going to expect him to be standing up and, you know, being able to throw tackles anymore, right? Uh, you know, Ric Flair got a little bit of heat from that for posting that picture because, you know, he was hugging Misty and he was smiling and stuff like that. And I, I think a lot of people just thought it was disrespectful to Mongo. Um my take on it was, was it something that I think should have been posted? Probably not. You know, a lot of times when we think we should hit send on something, we should probably just delete it. Uh, but at the same time, do I think Mongo would think it's disrespectful that, you know, Ric Flair is there and smiling and taking a picture? Probably not. I, I just can't see Mongo being that person. Um, but you know, I, I get why people reacted the way they did to it. So. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, uh, in, and in 2021, he, he did share a quote and I'll, I will get you to, um, read this one, TJ, if you don't mind. This was when he spoke with Dan Wiederer in 2021. I promise you this, ep- this epitaph that I'm going to have on me now, this ain't ever how I envisioned this was going to end. What I used to be is the antithesis of what I am now. This is a humbling thing, brother. I tonight, I was ready for anything, but man, this will sneak up on you like a cheap shot at Green Bay Packer. I'm a Super Bowl shuffler now, like Michael said in the story. As long as I keep my legs stiff and shuffle along, I won't go down. Yeah, you you got to love Mongo for that one. Oh, 100%. <laughs> what, what, a, what a bloody legend. And yeah. even in the face of adversity, he's, he's, he still hasn't lost that that strength and, and I guess, yeah, we've said it many times already, but that, that larger than my personality and that, um, that yeah. no bullshit attitude. So, and, and just, I guess on that situation at the moment, Mongo's sister quite active on Twitter and she's really sort of pushing forward for Mongo to be inducted into the hall of fame. Mm-hmm. And, um, we'll, we'll be, we'll talk about that in, in just a sec, but just wanted to, before we do, I think it's important to, to touch on, the, the the highlights of his career, just so that we can talk to that. So, uh, 1979, he was an NCAA All-American. He was obviously Super Bowl champion. Two first-time All-Pro, 85 and 87. He was two-time second-team All-Pro, 86 and 91. Two-times Pro Bowl, 86, 87. Uh, one of the 100 greatest bears of all time. And finished his NFL career with 838 tackles, 95 sacks, and two intercepts. It, it, you look at those stats and you just go, "Wow!" Um, you know, one of the uh, one of the big divisive stats that uh, people always want to talk about with Mongo is that how long his uh, playing streak was as a player. Uh, you know, I think we touched on it earlier. It was 101 games, uh, 101 game streak. Reality, uh, depending on who you are, <laughs> that 101 is true, but there was also a four-game strike in 1990 that caused that streak to end. So, so if you don't include those four games, it was more like 191 games he played straight. Wow. Uh, so depending on which side of the coin you are, I'm not going to say who's right or who's wrong, but 101 games straight, you know, given the, the game of football and how – Often physical it is and how many people get injured. Uh, even at 101 games, that's just an amazing stat on its own. Uh, given his, given the position he played, given how hard he was playing, like it's mind blowing to me that he did not get severely injured to the point where he couldn't be on the field. Especially the way he plays the game. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that'll, that'll take us into the Hall of Fame argument. So and I'm not going to, going to, rattle off players that are in there that Mongo has better stats than, because I think that's a little bit disrespectful. But mm-hmm. what I will say is that Mongo's numbers stack up and he's 95 career sacks. It measures up to, to some of those players that, that are in there. Um, so where, where do yep. you sort of stand on it, TJ? Uh, does, does Mongo deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Mongo deserved to be in the Hall of Fame years ago. Um there's no question in my mind. Uh, he has the numbers to back it up. He has the accolades to back it up. I think the problem and the reason why Mongo isn't in there is you have to look back at that 85 Bears team. 
that defense was undeniably one of the best defenses, if not the best defense ever in the NFL. Uh, you know, there's been a couple of teams in the last 20 years uh, that could argue that they have a case for it. Uh, I disagree 100% with those cases. They're very great defenses. They are not the best defense to ever play. I think that's part of what Hampers Mongo's case is that he had all those other Hall of Famers around him and that defense was so dominant that even though he has these numbers, it kind of gets overshadowed, right? The the second team all pro, I, I wanted to touch on this one, 1986. There's a lot of people that will argue that in 1986, the Bears defense was actually better than the 1985 Bears defense, right? But we didn't win the Super Bowl. We were ousted. To even get that second team all pro honor in 1986, the year after winning the Super Bowl, like that's an accomplishment in itself. I personally think that Mongo deserves to be in there. He's got the numbers for it. I would hate, hate, hate for it to happen posthumously. Yeah. But unfortunately, with Mongo's health and everything like that, um, that's the only way I can see it envision it happening in, in the end is that uh, it's going to happen after Mongo's no longer with us. No, I think that's what we all. We all worry will happen, and, and of course, it, it will be great to see him go in, but it will be too late. Mm-hmm. And yeah, hopefully, by some miracle, some chance, uh, <laughs> the the Hall of Fame will come to their senses and and uh, and and give him the acknowledgement that he truly deserves. For sure, for sure, yep. All right, so that's uh, that, I guess that sort of brings us up to to the present day, but. I really want to finish on some fun stuff with Mongo. Sure. And there is, there is one story in particular, which I think is brilliant. And, and that was back in August, 2001. We, we sort of talked about that time period and it was at a, a home Cubs Rockies game. And he sang, take me out to the ball game and went on to tell the crowd that he would have some speaks with umpire Angel Fernandez <laughs> after he called Cubs player Ron Coomer out at the plate. Uh, he was then ejected from the ballpark by crew chief uh, Randy Marsh, and I—I I mean, if, if this is a Mongo story, if I've ever heard one, oh yeah, it, it definitely is. And uh, you know, I know a lot of uh, our Chicago Bears family uh, through you know everyone that we've met. Uh, there's also a lot of uh, White Sox and Chicago Cubs fans from Chicago, naturally. And uh, if anybody who follows baseball uh, knows that sometimes the umpires like they make bad calls. Angel Hernandez is probably one of the worst offenders for bad calls. <laughs> uh, there have been so many where he's called a game or if I've seen him call in a game, like uh, I'm a Blue Jays fan uh, personally, uh, only because the Montreal Expos aren't around anymore. Uh, my grandfather was from Montreal. So naturally that just kind of progressed where I, where my allegiance lied because I was pretty close with him while he was still around. Um, but you know, Blue Jays being a Canadian team, like I also like them. So they're my go-to, but I know. I remember any time I hear Angel Hernandez's name as an umpire in any game, I'm just going, "Oh, this is going to be rough." <laughs> and uh, for Mongo to say he wanted to, wanted to have some have some speaks with him, you know, good on Mongo. I wish he would have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it would have sent the Cubs fans in into hysterics. <laughs> oh, I I'm sure he would have been uh, carried out there on cheering arms for sure. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> And and I guess just one other sort of fact, and and I was surprised by this. I, I wasn't aware of this, but he he also ran for mayor of Romeoville, Illinois, in two thousand and thirteen. Oh wow! Yeah, so okay. uh, un- unsuccessful, but 
uh, still a bit of a fun story. So, uh, but no, yeah. that's, that, that's it. That's the story of Mongo. And, and as we sort of talked about earlier, uh, hopefully there's still a couple of chapters to write and, and, and hopefully part of that chapter or chapters will be, uh, Mongo getting his place in the Hall of Fame. I agree. Um, if anyone deserves it, it's Mongo. Yeah. And, so. uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully he gets his, uh, his flowers, uh, before it's too late. And, uh, it, cause I, I honestly think that, you know, if they could do that before he's no longer with us, like that would be the icing on the cake for Mongo. And you probably would see the biggest smile on his face. Yeah. So. And, and, and actually that's, that's a good point. In, in every photo you see, he's still smiling That that blows yep. me away. Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right, TJ. But yeah, we're all, we're all pulling for Mongo. We all, we all want to see him do well. Um, our hearts go out to his family and to him and, and, um, yeah, Godspeed. And, uh, TJ, thank you for, for joining us today. It was, it was great to finally meet you. We've had so many interactions on Twitter and we've yeah. actually had a conversation, which I think is awesome. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I really, uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, I think you're doing an awesome job with this, uh, this new endeavor of yours. Uh, it, You've been one of my favorite uh, interactions on Twitter. Uh, you know, we met, I believe, through the uh, through the Bear Down uh, Chicago podcast. Uh, we hit it off pretty quickly. Uh, those guys there too, they do a phenomenal job. You know, I just want to say happy anniversary to them for their, their one year and uh, all the accomplishments they've achieved in that year with their show. Um, let's uh, let's hope that your show uh, is just as is just as successful. And uh, you know, let's get you uh pumped up here too so absolutely no thank you tj and and on behalf of um of, of this podcast and, and also the bear down chicago podcast thank you for all your support because you are one of the the biggest supporters of the shows and uh yeah hopefully one day we'll get to share a beer and, and have a talk about mongo in in real life sounds great to me excellent all right well thanks tj thank you so much for joining the show and would, will you come back on definitely i will come back on for sure yeah let's do this again Awesome. Thanks again, TJ. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. For those of you that want to reach out to TJ, you can find him on Twitter at One Illustrious. I will also put a link in the show notes. For those of you listening, thank you so much for the support. It really does mean a lot. And as always, bear down.